Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. For the 88th time, you have found your way to our little nook here in the dark heart of the District of Wonders. Yes, this is the place. Tales to terrify, and yes, that dark spot in the shadows there is Mahler, the ink-black cat of the nook. My name is Lawrence Santoro, and my job, now, is to invite you in. So, come in. Make yourselves comfortable. Drop your wraps, if wraps you have to drop. Have a beverage, warm or cold. Grab your treat of choice, find a seat, and know that you are welcome. Before we delve into the evening's entertainments, I want to call your attention to the September art, now up on the wall here in the nook, and, of course, over at the Tales to Terrify homepage. Take a look. First, as a post-apocalyptic take on Alice in Wonderland, the most popular non-children's children's story of all time. It is a truly disturbing image, yes? See, our old chums, the white rabbit, the caterpillar, genetically fused, the Cheshire cat not only vanishing, but mostly dissolved, the mad hatter reduced to just a... Well, go on, go. Take a good long look. The digital painting is by an artist named Alejandro Dini. Alejandro Dini was born in Argentina, grew up in Italy, and currently lives in Hong Kong. He says that after spending his teenage years making drawings in his math books, with the help of Bern Hogarth's Books on Anatomy, he graduated as an illustrator from the European Design Institute in Turin, Italy. Since then, he's been involved with projects ranging from advertising, publishing, multimedia, children's books, and graphic design. Alejandro currently works full-time in the video game field and says he dedicates the rest of his time to digital painting 
and exploring the more personal approaches one might take to illustration. Some of Alejandro's work has been featured in publications such as Spectrum, Exposé, and Imagine FX. Take a moment, please, stop by the Tales to Terrify homepage at http colon slash slash tales to terrify dot com slash and have a look. You'll be sorry if you don't. And, of course, while you're there, consider making a generous one-time contribution or a modest subscription to help keep us going here in the District of Wonders. And now, we entertain you. We'll start the evening with a poem. It's a wonderfully dark and amusing little piece from a writer, not exactly new to me, but new to the nook, anyway, Mr. Robert Payne Cabine. We'll have Bob Newfeld. you remember Bob from the recent three-part rendering of At the Mountains of Madness, read it to us. So, without further fuss, here is Robert Payne Cabine's Dr. Volmer. Dr. Volmer, I hesitate to tell this tale. It's better left unsaid, but I must set the horror free that squirms inside my head. I hate to burden you this way. My story's cruel and sad, but if I don't tell someone soon, the truth will drive me mad. Before I start, I caution you, if I may be so bold, that when my story is complete, it cannot be untold. I'll understand if you must leave before my tale is through, but if you're truly curious, I'll tell it all to you. It seems like an eternity since I was swept away into a twisted world of pain, but it was yesterday. I marched down crowded sidewalks in the business suit parade. I kept time to the cadence of the anthem money played. My strides were sure and confident, each step a measured beat that pounded to the rhythm of a million other feet. I had an early meeting planned, and I was running late, but at the time I didn't know that first I'd meet with fate. I neared my midtown office, but I halted in my gate when the heel of my right shoe caught in a metal grate. I pulled and twisted frantically. My shoe would not break free. The cold gray sidewalk would not lift its rigid hold on me. I yanked and tugged with all my strength, but didn't have much luck. The more I tried to shake it loose, the more my foot was stuck. My face turned red. I jerked and jumped. I muttered, I despair. The passers-by all looked away, as if I wasn't there. A tattered man walked up to me. His face was rank and red. He laughed and pointed at my foot, then smirked at me and said, Hey, college boy, if I were you, do you know what I would do? He winked and whispered gruffly, I'd untie my friggin' shoe. I felt too stupid and afraid to look him in the face. 
and handed him some crumpled bills and loosened up the lace. As soon as my foot wiggled free, I staggered in retreat. I hobbled humbly, limped and lurched, down 67th Street. The wily old man shadowed me. He stalked without a word, a predator who singled out the weakest of the herd. He was old, but he was agile. I could feel his icy gaze as I limped toward my office through the amber morning haze. I could hear him breathe behind me. I could feel him close the gap. I ambled faster down the street. My shoulder felt a tap. I froze and slowly turned around. The derelict was there. He reeked of wine and rancid sweat, and bugs crawled in his hair. He breathed hard through his rotted teeth and tried to catch his breath. He was angular and bony, and had the look of death. He said, "'Hey, what's the hurry, friend?' spraying spit and grease. "'I almost couldn't catch you, boy. Could this be your valise?' When he handed me my briefcase, there was nothing I could say. He groaned, "'I'm very tired now. I don't live far away. Do you think that you could help me?' My heart is weak and old. Then he reached out and grabbed my wrist. His grotesque hand was cold. My paranoia turned to guilt. I walked with him a while. His neighborhood was far from good. The filth and stench were vile. A shabby storefront loomed ahead. He said, We're finally here. The place was stark and sinister. I tried to hide my fear. He pointed to a faded sign that hung above his door and said, I'll show you stranger things than you have seen before. I shuddered as I read the sign. Bizarre Anomalies, the Vincent Vollmer Gallery of Nature's Oddities. He opened up the weathered door and ushered me inside. The ominous and cluttered room was dark and deep and wide. "'Permit me to present myself,' he said, and raised his brow. "'I am Dr. Vincent Vollmer.' He grinned and took a bow. He put a dingy lab coat on and tried to stand up tall. His round-framed, tinted spectacles were sinister and small. He threw a switch— and suddenly a flash of blinding light glared down on me from high above. The room was way too bright. I looked around in disbelief, with horror in my eyes. The doctor's vile collection was astonishing in size. Colossal bins and cases filled with grim monstrosities revealed in one sad passing glance a thousand agonies. A multitude of ghastly jars with sickening things inside surrounded me on creaking shelves and leaked formaldehyde. Descriptive plaques were crudely scrawled with lewd, unwholesome text. Each new display I noticed was more loathsome than the next. At first I tried to hide my eyes, but couldn't help but look. I'd never seen such shocking freaks— my knees got weak and shook. The doctor clapped his hands with glee and said, Come, 
take a peek. I peered into a dusty jar and saw a floating freak. Behold the famous duckbill boy from distant Kathmandu. I found the creature in a swamp in 1962. It was a gray and waxy thing, so pulpy, pickled, pale. A narrow stripe of prickly hairs ran down its spiny tail. Its duck-like bill was broad and flat, with tiny pointed teeth. Some mangy, stubby feathers grew on top and underneath. I saw the inside-out man next. His guts were everywhere. Come, look at this, the doctor said. It's really rather rare. A purple curtain opened up, and Joni Joe was there, a stuffed, tattooed hermaphrodite with ribbons in its hair. He said, If you like animals, here's something just for you. I choked at the menagerie in Volmer's mutant zoo. He had a dog without a face, a hairless see-through lamb, an ossified orangutan, a giant human clam, a pallid pygmy elephant, a pregnant cyclops cat, a multitude of reptile freaks, and one big boy-faced bat. I reeled at the tremendous size of Volmer's yeti squirrel, and sickened at the sight of his albino fish-faced girl. Come see my prize exhibit, sir, he squealed in dark delight. Just step inside this gallery I call the Hall of Fright. I edged into the reeking room, where maybe twenty-five repulsive mutants stared at me. The creatures were alive. Some almost seemed like human beings with flippers, fins, or claws— one man-beast had a single horn and massive shark-like jaws. A thing with pink transparent flesh, a giant feathered plume, cried out in pain, licked a wound, and lurched around the room. As I recoiled in shock and dread, a somber little beast sat up the way a puppy would and begged to be released. Its face looked like a human child, except for gills and scales, the thing had golden, silky hair that hung in long pigtails. It sidled shyly up to me and whispered in my ear. It spoke so strange and softly, I couldn't really hear. When Volmer saw it talk to me, he knew it asked for help. He dragged it to another room. I heard it whine and yelp. The creatures all surrounded me, and then one licked my hand. It gazed at me with sad, round eyes. It seemed to understand. I stroked its tortured, clammy flesh and felt a sense of dread. The fate of those poor, twisted things was worse than being dead. I knew that it was time to leave. The doctor was insane. I did not want a closer look inside his twisted brain. I tried the door. It was locked. The doctor had the key. There were no windows in the room, and no escape for me. The doctor burst in from the back with fresh blood on his coat. He held the childlike creature tight around its slender throat. He growled, The show is over, pal. 
His voice was loud and rude. Then Volmer asked, What do you think about my eerie brood? It's you who are the monster here. You should be in a cage. And as I spoke, his creatures cringed. He flew into a rage. He said, You'll find out soon enough who is the monster here. The world is full of oddities, and you'll be one, my dear. He grabbed a filthy glass syringe. It dripped with something red. He plunged it deep into my neck. A fire filled my head. I could not move. I could not speak. But I could feel and see. He dragged me to another room. I lay there helplessly. He cleared a metal table off and hoisted me on top, then snatched a rusty scalpel up. I felt my buttons pop. His surgical devices lay in rows on filthy trays. The scissors, saws, and forceps had a brittle, bloody glaze. When I saw them, I crapped myself and stared out into space. I tried and tried to no avail to find my happy place. He sorted through his tools and said, This should do the job. He raised an orthopedic saw. I began to sob. He leered at me with yellow teeth and drooled just like a fiend. Then he began to wipe the blade and chattered as he cleaned. I've spent my life collecting these disgusting little things. I relish the unusual. I love the fear it brings. The road of evolution curves and detours now and then. Mutations happen randomly. You don't know where or when. When I was young, I searched them out and gathered quite a few. Now I'm too old to track them down. I thought of something new. I was a plastic surgeon once. I sculpted living flesh. Now I make my own, you see. My oddities are fresh. He pinched my cheek and mussed my hair as he removed a sock, then pouted as he tweaked my toes and cooed in baby talk. That's quite enough of me for now. Let's concentrate on you, my silly little businessman who lost his fancy shoe. I tried to scream, but I could not, as Vollmer went to work. He started cutting off my suit. He had an evil smirk. I heard a raucous banging sound behind the bolted door. He cursed and threw his scissors down. My clothes were on the floor. The creatures in the other room were grunting out his name. The more they howled and banged away, the hotter he became. He flung the huge door open wide. He cursed and kicked his spawn. For all his violent savagery, the freaks had not withdrawn. Instead, the creatures drove him back. They pinned him to the wall. Then something bit him on the leg. I saw him slip and fall. They threw him on the tabletop and scooted me aside. He struggled hard and cried for help. The fiend was terrified. His monsters ripped his lab coat off as pinchers, hands, and claws snatched up the cold steel cutlery. They juggled knives and saws.
the doctor soiled his underpants as they whacked off his ears. Their work was wicked, wild, and wet with urine, blood, and tears. A frantic creature sawed a hand, another sawed a leg. The doctor wailed and thrashed around. The pain made Volmer beg. They munched on raw leftover flesh and squealed in ecstasy. The fact that he was still alive seemed hideous to me. They slashed and snipped and sewed all day, tenacious in their task. By the afternoon, the doctor's face looked like a monster mask. They had rearranged his countenance. Their work was far from neat. A mass of muck had been sewn on the morbid mess of meat. What remained of his tortured frame looked like a butchered boar. Clumps of scales and feathers formed a patchwork quilt of gore. They modified his arms and legs with real artistic flair. Two tentacles replaced his arms, and pinchers clawed the air. The injection Volmer gave me wore off to some degree. I scooted off the tabletop and grabbed the deadbolt key. I pushed the huge door open wide. The creatures stopped their work. When they bolted for their freedom, Volmer sat up with a jerk. I heard a sickening ripping sound as Volmer popped his seams. He bellowed in a gurgling voice, I'll see you in your dreams. His organs plopped into his lap. They quivered in a pile. He plunged his claws into the mass of entrails, blood, and bile. He stuffed his bloated stomach back inside the gaping cut, then clutched his open abdomen and tried to sew it shut. He lacked the fine dexterity required for the job, so everything he'd put back in just gushed out in a blob. He muttered vile obscenities and fumbled with his bowels. He wrapped his mangled middle up with greasy, blood-soaked towels. I couldn't watch him any more. I screamed and hid my eyes. He sobbed and called out to his freaks, but there were no replies. I stumbled from the hall of fright and found my way out front. I gasped a breath of outside air and heard a gurgling grunt. Behind me, Volmer made his way toward the open door. In all my life, I'd never seen a sight like him before. Come back, my pretty pretties, then chased his loathsome flock as several yards of viscera trailed him down the block. I stood there naked, cold, and dazed, my briefcase in my hands, as Volmer disappeared from sight, shouting stern commands. The doctor's errant oddities had scurried off to play, but when they heard his angry voice they quickly ran away. The creatures scattered in the street, some wiggled under cars, they slithered, crawled, and scooted past the shops and dives and bars. A garbage truck was passing by. Some monsters hitched a ride. A freak crawled in a burned-out car where it could safely hide. A snake-like curiosity climbed up a traffic light. The light turned red, the mutant spooked, and slithered down in fright. A pack of hybrid canine beasts pursued an alley cat and terrorized the patrons of a run-down laundromat. 
An amorous anomaly with giant rhino balls was humping everything in sight and bumping into walls. A twisted mound of crawling flesh jumped in a garbage can. A living sphinx snuck up and licked a sleeping homeless man. I watched their grotesque silhouettes against the setting sun. The city seemed to welcome them, the same as everyone. This midway, made of glass and steel, had always found a home for victims of a tortured mind or scrambled chromosome. Conceived in madness, born in pain, these children of the knife explored the urban underworld of midtown city life. The gory little horrors from the doctor's hall of fright dissolved into the dusk and gloom and disappeared from sight. A cool damp breeze blew from the east, with scents from far-off seas, musk and dander from the fur of nameless oddities. The world seemed cruel and stranger than it did the day before. I killed the lights in Vomer's place and slammed the blood-stained door. I heard a distant siren wail. The sky was turning black. I wandered off into the night. And never did look back. Thank you for that, Bob and Bob. Bob Cabine says he is primarily a screenwriter. Won't argue. He wrote the animated feature Heavy Metal 2000 for Columbia TriStar Sony Pictures. Other film credits include Walking with Buddha and A Monkey's Tale. He also does some script writing for Disney, he says. Dr. Vollmer was published in Robert Cabine's collection Tainted Treats, Horror Stories and Poems, illustrated by the likes of Mike Mignola, William Stout, Simon Bisley, Dave Stevens, and by Mr. Cabine himself. We'll put one of those illustrations on our Facebook page, so go on over, like us, and have a look. Bob Neufeld, who read Dr. Vollmer tonight, is, as stated, an old hand at this kind of dark and fictive dreaming— most recently, he entertained us all for five-plus hours with H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. To my thinking, Bob is one of the premier readers on the site LibriVox. I always jump at a chance to hear him reading, well, whatever he does over there. You can hear more from him there and over on the Crime City Central neighborhood in the district. So, thanks again, Bob and Bob. Now, fiction. Ah, yes, fiction. Tonight, we have a story by one William Markley O'Neill. Bill O'Neill says he is a proud member of the Horror Writers Association. Bill sums up his life as follows. I'm single. I'm a Hoosier. I'm a writer. And let's see more about him. He lives in Anderson, Indiana. He did a one-minute YouTube video that was produced through Weird Tales entitled I Was a Teenage Beehive. You could look at that.
He has a dark poem, Delusions on the Rocks, and a short horror story, The Black and Blue Wasteland, published in 2012, in the January and December issues of Cover of Darkness from Sam's.Publishing. Tonight's story, from Mr. O'Neill, comes from Bill's collection, Fishing in Brains for an Eye with Teeth. And if you've ever seen his avatar on Facebook, you'll know how really creepy that title is. It is available on Amazon.com, the book, not the avatar. He is working on releasing a superhero romance novella entitled Where the World Ends. Okay, before I ramble too much further into the life and times of William Markley O'Neill, I shall haul myself aside and let Jim Phillips and Veronica Jaguer tell you a tale by Mr. O'Neill, the title of which is, well, you'll hear in a moment, won't you? Jim? Veronica? www.sellyoursoultosatan.hel by William Markley O'Neill All righty, if you've just turned in on your drive home from work tonight, I'm Kylie McKinney, and we're discussing our daily dilemma. A young woman is having all kinds of problems with her boss. He's basically stalking her, said the radio station's traffic update girl. Pretty much, yeah, said Kylie. It's really creepy. This poor woman, she's in her mid-twenties, and she's working for a guy who's old enough to be her father. For about a year now, he's been making the occasional inappropriate comment at work. Then, about three months ago, he got a divorce, and that's when things really got crazy. I feel so sorry for this woman, said Traffic Update Girl. I know, said Kylie. So, despite the fact she's repeatedly told her boss she's not interested in him, he just won't give up. And now he's bombarding her with emails and calling her at all hours of the night, and he's acting like he's the injured party because she doesn't want anything to do with him, outside of a professional relationship at work. I still think I'd just look for another job, said Traffic Update Girl. Well, it's not that easy. She likes her job, except for dealing with this jerk. And she makes good money. She's trying to pay off her student loans. And besides, like one of our callers already pointed out, if she quits, doesn't that mean he wins? I see that, too, said Traffic Update Girl. Let's take some more calls, said Kylie. After an audible click, as the phone line was punched in, Kylie said, Hello, did you have a comment about the Daily Dilemma? Yeah, I was wondering if you knew how long this woman has been working there. She just says a few years in her letter. I'm just wondering, said the caller, if this creep might have done something like this before. How does she know he isn't hitting on five different girls at once, and every one of them thinks they're the only one? That's a good point, interjected Kylie. She really needs to go over this guy's head and talk to his boss. Who knows? Maybe others have reported him in the past. She might even get lucky, and her grievance will be the final straw that gets this guy fired. Wouldn't that be great? enthused Kylie. And, 
said the excited caller. She definitely has a case here for sexual harassment. She could potentially sue this company for serious money, but that's only going to work if she can show she tried to go over her boss's head and nobody did anything about his behavior. You're right, said Kylie. She's worried that this guy might retaliate and make her life a living hell at work if she reports him, but what's the worst that could happen? If he fires her, she's got a case for wrongful termination. Exactly, said the woman caller. Thanks for calling, said Kylie. Thanks, Kylie, said the caller. After a clicking hang-up, Kylie said, She brings up a good point. There's no way of knowing if her boss's inappropriate behavior is limited solely to her. Right, said Traffic Update Girl. He might have done this before. Guys like this are generally pretty adept at abusing their power. It's sad, but generally that's true. She needs to report this guy, not just for her own sake, but for the sake of all the women working at this company. For real, said Traffic Update Girl. Let's take another call, said Kylie. After a loud click, she said, Hi there, do you have a comment about the Daily Dilemma? Yeah, Kylie, a deep baritone voice now broadcast through Lenny's radio. I just wanted to give you a guy's perspective on this. Great! I've known guys like this woman's boss, and he is not going to stop. It sounds like he's obsessed with this woman. I'll bet he divorced his wife because of her. Well, she says that she asked him that very thing, and he denied it. Of course he denied it, said the mail caller. The thing about guys like this, they're just so blinded by their lust and infatuation, they really think they're in love. And the more casually that she acts with him, the more hurt he's going to become. Eventually, he's apt to turn vengeful. I hear you, said Kylie. She's worried about keeping her job, and I can understand that. But this guy could be dangerous. She needs to not only contact corporate about him, she should really look into getting a restraining order, don't you think? Something, said the mail caller. This guy needs a serious wake-up call. Thanks for calling, said Kylie. After a click, Kylie says, Well, so far, everyone agrees this is a serious situation that could potentially get a whole lot worse. Do you have a comment you'd like to add? If so... Give me a call at 888-55-KYLIE. Green Day was now broadcast over the air. Sitting in his parked car in his driveway beside his house, Lenny Langstrom clutched his steering wheel, sweating, listening to a lonely song about a boulevard of broken dreams. Lenny finally shut off his engine and got out of his Pontiac. Muttering, it can't be her, he hurried to his front door and unlocked it. Once he was inside his modest ranch house, he went straight to his liquor cabinet and poured himself a stout glass of Glenlivet, then headed to his study, where he slumped into a chair behind his computer desk. Thinking about how much his own situation mirrored that of the one spoken about on the radio, Lenny was in a quiet panic. He was in love with his secretary, the lovely, incredible, brilliant Esther Gray, who he'd worked with for almost two years. He divorced his wife just three months ago, and yes, if he was honest with himself, in a way he wasn't honest with anyone else, he did it because he was obsessed with Esther. He'd been calling her lately, and just last week, he wrote her a love letter. It all matched. And yet Lenny told himself he couldn't be the only older divorced man who was in love with a younger woman. Not in a city this size. He couldn't believe Esther would do something like this. 
He grabbed his mouse, disengaging the screensaver on his personal computer. He signed online and navigated his way across the World Wide Web to the site for the radio station. Generally, he didn't listen to pop rock. The radio in the car used to remain forever tuned to the oldie station, but lately he'd been listening to Esther's favorite station. Lenny clicked on Kyle McKinney's DJ page and pulled up the Daily Dilemma online. Reading the letter from Fed Up, he suddenly grabbed his scotch and guzzled it down. Esther did write this. He opened a drawer on his desk and looked down at a photograph of Esther and her best friend, Danielle. Part of Fed Up's letter read, When I took a week off work a couple months ago, I came back and discovered things on my desk were missing. I don't suspect he was the one who took my stapler, but I do think he was the one who stole a picture of me and my best friend. Tears welled up in Lenny's eyes. Over the course of the next couple of hours, he got progressively more drunk as he rode an emotional roller coaster that peaked with extreme anger, only to plummet to the depths of darkest depression. He never realized how pathetic he was, how delusional he was. Until today's daily dilemma, Lenny truly believed Esther liked him. He never dreamed she saw him as a stalker and a loser. What is wrong with me? He woefully asked himself. Then, angrily, he wondered, What's wrong with her? Why won't she give me a chance? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Lenny hadn't cried in a decade. Not since his mother died. But now, as he stared at Esther's smiling photograph and remembered how he stole it off her desk, he bawled like a baby. He saw himself as Esther saw him, as those people on the radio saw him, a deluded, dirty old man. He couldn't deny that he lusted for her, but this wasn't infatuation. Thinking how those radio callers branded his feelings as infatuation infuriated him. This wasn't a crush. 
He had worked with her for two years, and he had truly fallen in love with her. Lenny hung his head and cried. When his tears finally dried up, fear was added to his acidic emotional mix. Virtually every caller to that radio show suggested Esther report his behavior to corporate. Despite their speculation to the contrary, he'd never done anything like this before. But his bosses had a strict no-tolerance policy when it came to sexual harassment. They might fire him. He poured himself more booze, even though he knew he was already looking at a nasty hangover tomorrow. Sitting at his computer, drunk and broken-hearted, Lenny insisted, I really do love her. With a sob, he admitted, I don't want to live without her. After still more tears, he wiped his eyes, whining, I'd sell my soul to be with her. Immediately, Lenny's computer cheerfully informed him, You've got mail. Eager for any distraction, even if it was only spam, he pulled up his mailbox. The new email was titled, Fulfill Your Dreams Tonight. Curious, he opened the email and read, Tired of not realizing your greatest desires? Fed up with life? Heartbroken because that special someone doesn't feel the way you do? Change your circumstances now. Make your dreams come true. Learn how you, Lenny Lee Langstrom, can sell your soul to the devil and turn your fondest fantasies into treasured realities. The enclosed link was www.sellyoursoultosatan.hell. If his emotions weren't in such turmoil, he'd probably be amused. He knew this must be a joke, but the timing of it was phenomenal. Hurry, said the final line of the email. This one-time limited offer expires at midnight tonight. Lenny clicked on the link and sat back in his chair to wait. He used a dial-up connection, not DSL or broadband, and his PC didn't have a lot of RAM. Generally, it took several minutes to pull up something on the Internet. Remarkably, there was no delay. The web page popped up instantly. Taking another swig of scotch, Lenny read, Welcome, Mr. Langstrom, to Hell's Consignment House, the most user-friendly website in the universe. Because of the recent modernization of an ancient system, Satan will not be directly entering into negotiations with you. Rather, Lucifer has empowered numerous demons to act on his behalf. The process of putting up your soul for sale at Hell's Consignment House couldn't be easier. Simply click on the link that will appear at the end of this message. You will be prompted to complete a tentative contract for the purchase of your eternal spirit. You will be able to list whatever it is you desire to receive in exchange for your soul. Standard with all contracts is a clause, guaranteeing that you will not die for another 46 years from disease, old age, or natural calamities. Lenny was 46 years old. The idea of doubling his age before he died definitely agreed with him. Once the tentative contract is completed, simply change its status to active. Your requested terms will then be immediately available for viewing by all of Hell's brokers. Be aware, the more complicated your request, the harder it will be to find an exact match. Within seconds after posting your proposal, you'll know if your terms are acceptable. If they are not acceptable, you will be offered a counterproposal. Finally, you will be asked to seal the contract with your blood. It's just that simple. You need not sleep alone tonight, Lenny. He jumped as it beast on, just at the thought of not having to face an empty bed tonight. Happiness awaits. Post your terms now. Click to create a contract here. Before clicking, Lenny guzzled the last of his scotch and then poured himself a glass of Jack Daniels. He was out of scotch, so he switched to whiskey. The word here began to blink on Lenny's screen. 
He straddled a line between belief and incredulity. He couldn't decide if this entire site was some kind of elaborate joke or if there was something truly sinister going on here. In the end, curiosity ruled. He clicked on the link. What looked very similar to an email opened up. The subject line was already filled out for him. It read, For Sale, The Immortal Soul of 46-Year-Old Leonard Lee Langstrom. The body of the email was mostly blank, but it did have a beginning and ending already written. The beginning said, I, Leonard Lee Langstrom, agree to sell my soul to an authorized agent of Satan in exchange for... After a lengthy blank space, the ending read, in exchange for being granted these stated conditions, I will forfeit all spiritual rights after my death. Without being judged, I will be sent directly to hell. As a further stipulation to my damnation, I will be granted another 46 years of life, free from any threat from disease, infirmities associated with old age, and all natural calamities. Lenny's hands grabbed his keyboard and his fingers began typing, as if independently deciding the matter on their own. He wrote, In exchange for the undying love, of Esther Nicole Gray. He stopped and stared at the words on the screen, wondering if he should elaborate or not. He finally decided there was no need. All he wanted was Esther's love. There was no send button like with an email. Instead, a little rectangle at the bottom of the screen said, Activate Proposal. He clicked the button. The error message appeared immediately as the speakers barked a startling tone. Lenny pouted as he read, Agents of the devil are unable to affect love. Might we suggest lust, respect, or perhaps even fear? A gamut of other emotions are available as substitutes for love. Lenny's bottom lip protruded even farther. Like a spoiled child, he whined. But I want her to love me. He stared at what was written on the screen. The word lust sparked his imagination. He told himself, If I can't get Esther to love me right away, maybe I can get her to fall in love with me over time. He nodded, reprising his earlier theme of, If only she'll give me a chance. Lenny clicked away the error message and backspaced over what he wrote. In exchange for his soul, he asked for The undying lust, passion, trust, and infatuation of Esther Nicole Gray. Writing infatuation seemed almost like revenge, considering how people on the radio were quick to label his love as infatuation. He studied what he'd written, sipping his whiskey. Then, with a grin, he put the word obedience between passion and trust, thinking that was perfect. Lenny activated the proposal. This time there was no error message. Instead, his computer informed him, proposal under review. Exactly six seconds later, he received the message. Proposal accepted. Lenny's heart skipped a beat. After a moment, the contract became partially opaque. A message appeared on top of it. When this contract is finalized, you will be giving up your immortal soul. You cannot be tricked into doing this. You must enter into this contract willingly. Do you understand? Click Y to indicate yes. He looked at what he wrote in the contract. He tried to imagine how radically Esther would change. He found it almost as impossible to imagine as the idea of being consigned to hellfire. One thing he could imagine. Life going on exactly as today. He could imagine loneliness. Envy, terrible humiliation, and impotent rage. His decision made. Lenny hit the Y key. Fire burned away the words on the screen, replacing them with blood-red text reading, Place your finger on the spot indicated on the screen so that your blood may be taken in lieu of your signature. For the first time tonight, Lenny was frightened. He suddenly found it hard to breathe. 
On the computer screen, a red circle appeared, the spot to place his finger. Beside the circle was the icon of a stick pen, a long black needle with a tiny human skull for a head. Sweating, suddenly feeling like he was about to spontaneously combust, Lenny jumped up from his desk, tearing at his clothes, taking off his suit jacket and shirt. He went to the bathroom for a towel and wiped sweat off his head. The thought that pierced his fright and drove it away was, I'll need to take a shower before Esther comes over. Unhappy that he no longer felt drunk, and surprised he didn't have a raging headache, Lenny stubbornly poured himself some more Jack Daniels and guzzled it down before returning to his desk. While he was away from the keyboard, the screen changed. It now showed the final instructions. Your finger will be pricked. Your blood will be taken. By willfully giving up your blood, you will be signifying your acceptance of the contract. At that moment, this transaction will be final and may never be revoked. The red circle where he was supposed to place his finger began to blink. The decision is yours, Mr. Langstrom. For all of six seconds, he hesitated. Then Lenny tentatively extended his index finger. Picturing Esther in his mind, he thought, Come to me. He placed his finger against the computer screen in the indicated circle. The screen was as cold as ice, painfully cold. His fingertip was first frozen and then stabbed. The icon of the pin flew to his touch, pricking him. The pain was sharp and potent. Ow! He withdrew his finger and looked at it, seeing the droplet of red there. He looked at the computer screen and saw the red stain of his life liquid. Blood flowed. Without warning, the computer screen, the lights in his house, the synapses in his mind, everything flashed bright red. Lenny saw the red circle become a purple pentagram. His blood on the screen was absorbed by the screen, sinking into the monitor. Demonic laughter chased Lenny's consciousness away, his index finger tingling as if shocked. Lenny put his head on top of his keyboard and passed out. He awoke to the sound of bells. His mind was fuzzy. He thought he was dreaming, and he settled back to sleep. When the doorbell rang again, Lenny sat up. For a moment, he was completely disoriented. He didn't understand why he was asleep at his computer. Then a flash of fire blazed across his mind's eye, and he remembered. He jumped out of his seat, immediately excited. Was it Esther ringing his bell? But who else could it be? His heart was too big for his chest. His palms were slick with sweat. Shouting, Coming! He hurried to the entry hall. Lenny flicked on his porch light, unlocked the front door, and opened it. The sight of Esther took his breath away. Despite the fact that it was a muggy night, she was dressed in a long tan overcoat. She was wearing makeup, mascara and blue eyeliner and bright red lipstick. When they made eye contact, her lids fluttered. She looked down, smiling nervously. Lenny opened the storm door and told her to come in. Esther hesitated, looking up at him, frowning slightly. Then she flew at him, wrapping her arms around his head, kissing him passionately as she pushed him back inside. Thrilled beyond imagining, Lenny held her tight and returned her kisses. They were both soon breathless with desire. Finally, panting, Esther pushed him back. Without saying a word, she began to slowly unbutton her coat. Lenny was completely aroused, even before he saw her naked cleavage. Esther shed her only garment, letting it drop to the floor. Stepping out of the sandal she was wearing, she reached for him. He pushed her back, astonished that he was finally seeing her nude body. Let me look at you, he rasped. Perfectly obedient, Esther complied. Tears broke free of his eyes. He wept silently at the sight of her, the most beautiful sight he'd ever seen. Within moments, however, his lust conquered his awe. Then he took Esther by the hand and led her to his bedroom. The next day was Friday, and both Lenny and Esther called off work. 
They stayed in bed together most of the weekend, having marathon sex. By Monday, they were both so sore they could barely move, and again called off work. Finally, under great pressure from his boss, Lenny returned to the office. But they agreed Esther could no longer work under him. She quit, effective immediately. While Lenny worked and regenerated his fluids, Esther moved out of her apartment into Lenny's house. The next few weeks were the most erotic of Lenny's life. One night after they'd made love, as Esther slumbered quietly beside him, Lenny stared into the dark and thought about the deal he made. On the one hand, he couldn't be happier and had no regrets. On the other hand, he knew he was truly damned, and thoughts about what his afterlife would entail terrified him. He couldn't imagine there was any comfort in hell, but if there was, his would be memories of these glorious days with Esther. He proposed to her on their three-month anniversary of being together. It troubled Lenny that Esther hesitated before answering. He commanded her to. Say yes, honey. You know you want to. Breaking eye contact with him, she obediently responded. Yes. Esther was raised Catholic, and as a gesture of love, Lenny agreed to a Catholic wedding. But when he went with Esther to meet her family priest, he discovered an uncomfortable truth about the damned. Holy places made them ill. Less than five minutes after entering the church, Lenny was vomiting up his lunch. The nausea lasted as long as he was on sanctified ground, and dissipated after he'd left. They got married at a justice of the peace. Esther didn't seem particularly upset at not having a church wedding, and Lenny had never been happier in his life. He was utterly clueless that his bride considered their wedding day the worst day of her life. In the months after they were married, Esther spent a lot of time with her friends. Too much time, in Lenny's opinion. He ordered her to spend more time at home, and she did. Then, without his knowledge, Esther maxed out their new joint credit card. When Lenny saw the credit card bill, he chastised her and demanded she stop. She did. The sex was fantastic. Her lust for him was insatiable. They never had troubles in bed. One evening, three months after they were married, they were having dinner at a fancy restaurant, and Lenny didn't like the way Esther looked at their handsome young waiter. On the drive home, he told her, Don't you ever fool around on me, Esther. Don't even think about it. Meekly, she said, I won't. Lenny knew she wouldn't. Three months after that, Lenny realized they didn't talk much. He and Esther had very little in common. Lenny was a huge sports enthusiast. He loved baseball basketball, and, most especially, football. He instructed Esther to study up on his favorite teams, so they would have more to talk about. Obediently, Esther complied. Then one night he came home to discover Esther was drunk and crying. The moment she saw him, she threw a bottle of vodka at him, shrieking, I hate you! Barely avoiding being struck by Smirnoff, Lenny ordered her to stop it! Esther slumped to the floor. His heart broke for her. He loved her with all his soul. He didn't want her to hate him. She should love him by now. Choking up, he told her, You don't hate me, darling. You're just having a bad day. You love me. You need to be happy. He commanded it. Be happy. She fought back her tears and produced a wan smile. That's better, said Lenny. Always knowing exactly what this lusty woman needed, he stripped her naked before shedding his own clothes and taking her to the bedroom. After that, Lenny experienced no more problems with his wife. She seemed not just content, but truly happy. He was thrilled to be married to her. Oblivious to Esther's secret pain, Lenny lived his dream, certain he'd have another forty-five years of this bliss. Esther Gray Langstrom sat home alone with a bottle of vodka, contemplating her miserable life. 
Lenny was gone for the week, off to Atlanta for a company meeting. She sincerely wished he would never come back. If his plane were to crash, she'd celebrate. She passionately loathed her husband. Over the course of the last year, Esther's identity had been shattered. She was a stranger to herself. She was raised as a Christian, but she'd lost her faith in Jesus. Tonight, she was so filled with black despair, she was contemplating suicide. She no longer believed murdering herself was a mortal sin because she no longer believed in God. And she didn't want to go on living this way. She remembered the day this nightmare began, almost a year ago. She'd written to the DJ at the local radio station about her situation, and Kylie McKinney aired her story as The Daily Dilemma. After listening to the advice of the good citizens of her city, Esther decided she was going over Lenny's head to his boss in an attempt to get him fired. Then, something inexplicable happened. It was like she was hypnotized or mind-controlled or bewitched. She'd never been attracted to Lenny before. He was dumpy, balding, and extremely hairy. Esther liked athletic men, smooth men, particularly Italian men. She'd always found excessive body hair to be a turn-off, but suddenly, out of the blue, she changed. Eventually, her arousal got the better of her. It made her bold. She went to him that same night, and they had sex for hours. But even as she was screaming with desire, somewhere deep in her mind, she was shrieking with horror. As unfathomable as it was that she was physically attracted to him, even more unbelievable was the way she always obeyed him. She tried over and over to defy him, and she just couldn't. Her body always complied with his wishes even when her heart wouldn't. When he told her to be happy, she didn't feel happiness, but she faked it. She couldn't even find satisfaction by cheating on him because he'd ordered her to remain faithful, and she had to dutifully obey. Esther wanted to die. Either that or she wanted him to die. Sitting at her desk in her study, staring unfocused at the solitaire game on her computer screen, she moaned, I'd do anything if he'd just die. Esther was startled when her computer said, You've got mail. When she ignored the summons, her computer insisted again, You've got mail. All right already, she muttered. When she went to her mailbox online and clicked on her email, she saw the title of the newest message was, Fulfill Your Dreams Tonight. Five minutes later, having read the instructions on how to sell her immortal soul at Hell's Confinement House, Esther wrote that her greatest desire was for Lenny to immediately suffer a slow, painful, debilitating death. When she sent her request, however, she instantly received back word that Hell was unable to comply. She was informed, Lenny Langstrom may not be killed by disease, old age, or any type of natural injury. Esther frowned. She started to type, why not? But then her eyes fell on the last pre-written paragraph in her petition. As a further stipulation to my damnation, I will be granted another seventy-five years of life, three times my current age of twenty-five, free of any threat from disease, infirmities associated with old age, and all natural calamities. The epiphany took her breath away. The great mystery was solved. She knew how Lenny brainwashed her. He sold his soul, she exclaimed. God damn him!
Then, realizing the irony in what she just said, she brayed hysterical laughter. When she sobered up, she was chilled to think, That's how he changed me. Her head spun with the implications of this. Her hatred for Lenny ballooned to new extremes. She considered her revenge. He brainwashed her. She should brainwash him. He corrupted her so she would be attracted to him. What if she were to fix it so he'd be attracted to men? Or even dogs? Esther shuddered, disgusted for the dogs. Eventually, she shut down the website. When her computer called out over and over that she still had mail, she ignored it. For the first time in a year, Esther prayed for forgiveness for her sins. She no longer had any doubt that God heard her prayers. When Lenny returned home from his business trip, Esther took him straight to bed. After they'd had sex, she never thought of it as making love no matter who instigated it. She told Lenny about the cat she had adopted while he was away. Please let me keep it, honey, she begged. Lenny sighed. I'm not crazy about cats, darling. I know, but he's so adorable, and I promise he won't be any trouble. You'll never even know he's around. Okay, Lenny said with a sigh. I guess. Esther thanked him by grabbing him in his favorite place. He told her, I never knew you liked cats. She secretly loathed felines almost as much as him. But Esther smiled, because she had a plan. It took her two more weeks to build up the courage to do it. Lenny may not be able to die by any natural means, but there was nothing in Satan's e-contract that suggested Esther's husband couldn't be murdered. She planned to kill him and blame it on a rambunctious cat. When Lenny came home from work on the fateful night, Esther told him, Why don't you take a long hot bath before supper, honey? I'll even come in and scrub your back. Nervous as hell, she held her breath until Lenny said, Sounds good. She paced in the kitchen, unable to sit still as she listened to water pouring into the tub. When the water finally stopped and she heard the splashing sounds of Lenny getting in, Esther went to get the cat. Knowing how she intended to sacrifice it, she never even named the animal. And Lenny never asked. Esther took a moment to calm herself, taking deep breaths. She knew she would need to act swiftly without hesitation. If Lenny was to die, she had to be strong. Finally, Esther picked up the feline and walked down the hall to the bathroom. Lenny was sitting in the tub, waist-deep in soapy water. When he saw her carrying the cat, he asked, What's up? I've got something to show you, said Esther, placing the cat on the closed toilet. What? Esther darted out of the bathroom, closing the door behind her. Be right back. Honey, shouted Lenny. What are you doing? Sweat dotting her upper lip, her heart quavering in her chest, Esther rushed into her study and picked up Lenny's boombox, which was already loaded with one of Lenny's ACDC CDs. Esther, yelled Lenny, come get this cat. It was an order and her body knew it. Luckily, she was already carrying the boombox. Esther dashed back to the bathroom, where she heard the cat scratching at the door. Entering, she blocked the cat's escape with her foot and quickly closed the door behind her. Lenny was annoyed. What are you doing? He whined. I'll take care of the cat in a second, sweetheart, 
she moved to the electrical outlet that was located next to the sink. Quickly plugging in the murder weapon, she told Lenny, I brought you some music to listen to. For just a moment, Lenny looked at her with suspicion. Esther acted as quickly as she was able, terrified he would order her to stop. She shouted at him, Sell your soul in order to have me, did you? His final word was, I... In the next second, her husband screamed as Esther dropped the plugged-in boombox into the tub. Deadly electric current coursed through the bath. Lenny thrashed and flopped, splashing water all over the floor. The lights dimmed. Steam rose. The din coming from his screeching throat sounded utterly inhuman. Feeling both horror and unbounded triumph, Esther turned to grab up the cat. She planned to tell the police that Lenny was taking a bath, listening to his boombox as he always did when the cat ran into the bathroom and knocked the CD player into his bath. She intended to broil the cat with her husband. But the black cat squirmed, twisting in her hands to claw her. Surprised, Esther took a single step backward into a puddle. She slipped and fell into her own death trap. The house was old and there were no circuit breakers. Fuses eventually blew, stopping the flow of electricity, but not before the Langstrom family, including their new pet, was dead. The pain that Lenny felt at death lasted much longer than he would have ever dreamed possible. His soul was fried out of his body, like juices from a steak. Still experiencing strange electric shocks, he screamed a soundless scream. He was devastated that Esther had killed him. He felt emanations of pure wickedness rising up from the darkness below him. Lenny knew that Satan fulfilled his end of the bargain. Lenny didn't die from disease, old age, or anything natural. Until he was slain, Lenny was clueless that the deal he made left open the possibility of murder. His spirit swirled around and around his scorched body like a tormented dervish. He watched Esther as she fought with the cat. He saw her slip and fall into the electric bath. The moment she struck the crazy waters, a brilliant shaft of light shined down from above. Seeing the illumination of heaven hurt Lenny, causing his damned soul to ache. He watched as his beloved Esther's spirit rose into the light. He knew she would soon stand before God, where she could explain herself before she was judged. An opportunity he forfeited when he entered into the devil's contract. Earth bled away. Another human soul plummeted into the abyss. In hell, Leonard Lee Langstrom couldn't remember any of the good times with Esther Gray, but he eternally relived the excruciating experience of her electrified vengeance. It's a big, wide, wonderful world you live in When you're in love, you're a master Of all you survey, you're a gay Santa Claus there's a brave new star-spangled sky above you When you're in love, you're a hero The Nero Apollo, the Wizard of Oz You've a kingdom, power and glory The old, old, 
oldest of stories is new, true. You've built your Rome in just one day. Life is mystic, a midsummer's night you live in. But Turkish delight, you're in heaven. But swell when you're really in love. Thank you for that, Bill. Tonight's story, www.sellyoursoultosatan.hel, first appeared in William Markley O'Neill's collection, Fishing in Brains for an Eye with Teeth. Episode 56 of Tales to Terrify featured Bill's Sensory Desolation, another story from that collection, Fishing in Brains with a... etc. That book can be purchased at both Amazon and on Smashwords. This summer, Bill released another collection of horror tales entitled Black and Blue and Blood. Now, besides horror... Bill writes science fiction, fantasy, and superhero fiction. His recently released ebook, Sci-Fi Sense of Humor, is a collection of four, well, humorous science fiction novelettes. All three of these are available for Nook, Kindle, and even PC download at both Amazon and Smashwords. This summer, Epic Saga Press published Salacious Tales an anthology of 22 speculative stories, all with erotic themes. Bill has two stories included there. Salacious Tales is available at Barnes & Noble or on Amazon. For links to all of Bill O'Neill's available works, as well as for news about what he's working on, Bill has a new website. We'll post that on the Tales to Terrify homepage. Bill is also on Twitter and Facebook, And, by the way, if you like his Facebook page, you'll automatically be entered into a drawing to win free copies of his horror stories. Stop by. www.sellyoursoultosatan.hel was read for us tonight by Veronica Jaguer and Jim Phillips. As mentioned on an earlier show, Jim Phillips does not kill people for a living. He just travels the globe and teaches others how to do it. And while he makes his home on an undisclosed mountaintop in Southern California, he frequently finds himself beating tracks through barren deserts in the Middle East, fording rivers in the Caucasus, hacking through Indian jungles, or trying not to be stampeded during Tokyo's rush hour. When at home, Jim can usually be found playing in the park with his young son, bombing through the mountains on a motorbike, or wondering why his daughter's university education is so bloody expensive. He holds multiple engineering degrees and is conversant enough in five languages to generally stay out of um, unwanted trouble. Veronica Jaguer is a new voice here in the Nook. In addition to being a caffeine-fueled Ph.D. candidate, Veronica is a voiceover artist, author, co-author, voice talent, and producer for the podcast The Secret World Chronicle. She writes and world-builds for the comic publisher Incubator Press and is an active voice at H.G. World in The Diary of Jill Woodbine, and she continues to read for authors of science fiction, fantasy, romance, and horror. 
In addition to dabbling in psychology and early adulthood learning strategies, Veronica has an affinity for comic books, she says, and for small talking horses. Hmm. Is that tiny horses who talk or normal-sized horses who make polite conversation? Ah, well. She strives alongside her spouse to raise literary-minded geek children. Oh, and thank you, Buddy Clark, for your rendering of It's a Big, Wide, Wonderful World, the which, because it covered so many bases, Nero, Heroes, Santa Claus, the Wizard of Oz, not to mention the boundless joy and exuberance over whatever was coming at you in life, was one of my favorite songs. When I was a tot... And that, fellow children of the night, will be that for tonight. Show number 88 is now behind us. I would have you be upstanding. I would have you be bright and chipper. Don't forget your raps, by the way. Ah, yes, it is time for raps again, light though they may be. So don't forget them. Otherwise, Mahler, the ink-black cat of the nook, and his lovely companion, the fair Miss Tabitha, will doubtless make nests of them and in them raise the last of their summer hairballs. So, there you have it. Oh, by the way, one more small thing. Tony C. Smith, the producer of this show and the creator and owner and producer of all the shows in the District of Wonders, has been talking about the possibility of our doing what he did several months ago, that is to say, producing a horror con online. This would be a live event with Tales to Terrify here in the Nook being the anchor. And what it would be would be a four- to five-hour slot sometime in late November, very early December, in which authors, uh, fans, historians, literary figures in general in the field of horror will get together and discuss what they do, possibly have some readings from significant authors, authors that we've had here in the past read by other people. Um, What do you think? Let us know on the Facebook page. It would probably cost somewhere in the vicinity of 10 pounds, British money. Uh, You can figure out what that means for you. And uh, there it is. Let us know. So, be warned on your way home. Uh, Summer may be closing down, but baseball is still with us. And with it, the hordes of ravening Cubs Blue people will be wandering the night in their traditional late-season weeping, wailing, and teeth-gnashing mode. So just stick to the side streets, to the shadows, and you'll make it home. And when, as I know you'll do, you check your email for the last time this one late summer evening, please do not make wishes in front of it. Do not make threats to your empty room. You never know what awaits in cyberspace to grant your desires, and to seed you what will doubtless be pleasant dreams. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more. 
would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. More about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.